is it too late for me? Have you ever asked that question? Have I waited too late? Is my opportunity passed? Have I messed up so much that I'm not usable to God? Have you ever wondered, is it too late for me? Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you be with us this morning. Oh, Lord, there are many things that preoccupy our mind that draws us away. But, Father, we have set these few moments aside to be with you. And, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. That in these few moments we spend together, we will commit them to you. And that your Holy Spirit will find a way into our heart and our mind. Lord, help us to leave this place with a better sense of conviction that you could use us in a wonderful way. Convince us, Lord, and give us the faith to trust you and to walk with you. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, I ask you to turn with the third chapter of the book of Exodus. We're going to look at a few verses in the third and fourth chapter of this book this morning. I want to read these few verses. I want to come back and look at this carefully. I want you to think about that question. Is it too late for me? It is the third chapter of the book of Exodus. Moses has just spent the last 40 years watching sheep. Now, I, I know, guys, sometimes we get bored. You ever get bored? I can look around the room. I can see boredom. Brother Ken, I want to be doing something exciting. I want to be out moving. I understand that. I'm like you. I can't be still long. Well, Moses has spent 40 years watching sheep. About the only real excitement happened is when a lion or a bear would come after him and he'd have to deal with that. Now, that got pretty exciting. But for 40 years, this hero of the faith was a shepherd. Sitting on those lonely hills with nobody to talk to but a bunch of dumb sheep. That's where he's been the last 40 years. Now, I want to pick up in the third chapter because something exciting is fixing to start happening in his life. Chapter 3, the book of Exodus, beginning with verse 1. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. Now, you've heard the story. You know the events. We referred to this a while back. Moses saw something that didn't look right. A fire that was not burning up, that, that was inside it. This bush, it just kept glowing. It caught his interest. God had got his attention, if you will. And so Moses approached. Verse 4, And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, 
God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, you can imagine how exciting that got. You're looking at a bush. It's on fire. It's not burning up. And all of a sudden, a voice starts talking to you. Now, Moses knew it had to be God. And he called out to Moses and he told him to take off his shoes for he was about to step on holy ground. In the midst of this, God began to reveal to him what he was about to do. Verse 7 is where I'd like to pick up. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down, listen to this, I, God, have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let me stop there. God looked at Moses, called him by name, And he said, I've seen people hurting, and I want to send you on a mission in the verses that follow to help. What if God tapped you on the shoulder and said, I've got a job for you? And you say, but wait a minute, wait a minute, God, you don't know what I did last week. You don't know the dirty joke I told in the locker room. You don't know how I behaved at work toward one of my coworkers. You don't know how I treated the kids this week. God, how can you have a job for me? Moses was on the outside looking in. He goes on. I'm going to pick up at verse 11. No, verse 10. I'm sorry. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people Israel out of Egypt. Can you imagine that? God taps you on the shoulder and he says, I want you to go to the biggest, strongest kingdom in the world and set all of my people free from the most powerful man in the world. And here Moses, he's a sheep herder. He's got a stick in his hand. And God says, I've got a job for you and it's a big one. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out? He said, God, listen, I'm a nobody. I'm not qualified for this job. God said, I'll be with you. And this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go. The Israelites will say to me, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they will ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? Now, guys, it is one lame excuse after another why he doesn't want to do what God's told him to do. They won't listen to me. Who do I tell them sent me? My people are not going to follow me. Chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, The Lord did not appear to you. I don't deserve their attention. God said, what's that in your hand? He said, well, Lord, it's a staff. It's a stick. He said, throw it down. You know what happened? He threw it on the ground. What happened to the stick? It turned into a serpent. Moses jumped back. I don't know about you, but I'd have jumped back twice. 
God said, reach down, pick it up by the tail. I'm glad he said that because if he'd have said by the head, me and Moses both would have left it at all, right? So Moses reached down, picked it up by the tail, and what? It became a staff again. He says, this is just one of the signs I'm going to give you to help authenticate you in the eyes and in the lives of the people of Israel and of Egypt. Now, we could spend a lot of time on these verses this morning. I wanted to set the pace for you about what God's Word is saying and how it affects His life. Let's stop for a moment. Sometimes in the midst of their pain and their shame, people ask the question, Is it too late for me? Is it too late for me? Have I messed up so bad? God can't use me. Guys, it's never too late. God frequently uses broken people to accomplish His purposes on earth. It is usually the one that thinks he is God's gift to the world that God can't use, not the one who's messed up and realized his limitations. God used Moses, who you would later discover was a murderer. Accidentally, yes but a murderer. He used Jacob the liar, Rahab the prostitute, and Jonah the rebel, just to name a few. All of these were those who had messed up. And yet God used them. God's who-who, if you will, of profound characters sounds like the roll call of the wrecked. They're just a bunch of folks that messed up, but would find their way. The truth of the matter is you have to get lost before you can get saved, someone once said. That means you have to realize a need before you can learn to depend upon God. Most of us don't like to ask for help. Whatever needs to be done, we won't be able to do it ourselves, right? No one asks for no help. So we tackle things that are too heavy. We do things that are too big. may mess them up, but we try to do them. It is only when we realize that the job is too big that we will ask God to intervene in the equation. Only the true broken person can understand the reality of John 15, 5, where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It isn't what I can do that is important to God. It's what God can do. When I let him work through my life. It's what God can do in your life when we allow him to work through our life. A broken person who has learned to depend on God, folks, is a force to be reckoned with in this world. Those are the ones that make the difference. But there's barriers. They're the barriers that we have to overcome There are a couple of them I want us to focus on. First of all, there's the focus of the past. When you're focused on the past, it's hard to see the possibilities of tomorrow. When you're staring at a past cluttered with mistakes, bad decisions, and failures, it's hard to see a bright future. We are clouded by that. When you're shackled to the past, it's hard to move ahead and even into the present. Many years ago, a group of elephants were released from the circuit circus. They couldn't use them anymore. They'd used them for years. 
But no longer could they chain or tie these elephants. They, they could not be corralled, if you will. Well, I said, Brother Ken, that's understandable. Elephant would break anything, can he? But for years, you could tie these elephants with a single little rope, a little thread almost. Tie it to the post and the elephant just stand there. Something happened. At this particular circus, a fire broke out. And as the fire broke out, the elephants, they were tethered to the post with just a little cord, if you will. And as the elephants became fearful and afraid, they began to pull against the ropes. And they snapped them like threads. But you see, for years, when the elephants were just young and babies, they put big chains on them. And they tied them to the post. And those young baby elephants, they'd pull against those chains and they'd stretch. But they couldn't break them. They couldn't move them. They were too big for them. They became convinced they could not break free. And for years, they were tethered no longer by a big, strong chain, but by a little rope. But after the fire, nothing could hold them back. You see, it wasn't that they couldn't break free. It was that they thought they couldn't break free. Sometimes we are tethered by the mistakes of the past. We spend too much time living life looking in the rearview mirror. Have you ever cut grass or bush hog? Have you ever noticed that if you look back to see how good a job you did that you turn and you get out of your straight line? I know none of you ever cut grass, right guys? Well, if you ever try, you'll notice if you look back, your line gets crooked. Same way it is with a, with a rearview mirror in the car. If you, if you look in the mirror, if you're not careful, you'll end up in the ditch. Now, Brother Ken, what's up? well, it's up there to glance through to see what's going on behind you. But if you try to drive down the road looking in the rearview mirror, where are you going to end up? In the ditch. That's why the windshield's so big and the rearview mirror's so small. So it is with life. In the game of football, there's something we call halftime. You ever figured out why they had halftime? Well, so the players can rest, yeah. That's not the real reason. Have you ever noticed that the team that is behind at halftime is not always the team that loses? Because you see, the game isn't over at halftime. You still got half a game to play. And a lot of times it is during that halftime that the coach sits down with his players and they evaluate, what have we done wrong? How have we messed up? What can we do differently? And they come up with a strategy for the second half of the game. And sometimes that strategy is successful. You see, the game's not over till the game's over. So it is with life. Moses was 80 years old. Now he's going to live to be 120. He's 80 years old. And for him, he's done, hit halftime, so to speak. And God has called him into the locker room, so to speak. And he said, we've got a new mission here. We're fixing to do some things differently. And a new strategy is determined. And a new plan for his life. We spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror and we deal with the barriers of past mistakes. There's the whispers of Satan. 
I believe the devil was whispering in Moses' ear when God said, I'm fixing to send you to go bring my people out to a promised land. Got, Moses had in his ear the devil whispered, you can't do that. Your life's messed up. Kids, have you ever seen the Beverly Hillbillies? You ever seen that show? Ah, uh, Maybe not. It's an old one. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Now, your parents know about it. Your grandparents know about it. Here's a group of a family, a father, two kids, grown pretty much, and his mom, and they live together in the Ozark Mountains, and they strike oil. Think about that. They're dirt poor. I mean, they don't have anything. And they strike oil. And so the whole storyline is, after they strike oil, they load up in their big old beat-up old piece of a truck, and they drive to Beverly Hills. They bought them a new place to live in. Now, you can imagine how much at home and how much they stood out in Beverly Hills, can't you? Out there with the movie stars. And the whole storyline is, they moved to Beverly Hills, and, and they've got all the things that money can buy, but they don't even know what they're for. Jeffro thinks that the swimming pool is something to wash the car in. What's my point? They moved locations, but they didn't change. We can move locations and still not change. We can listen to the devil that we can never do any better and we will stay the way we always have. That was the problem with the Israelites as they wandered in the promised land. In their mind, they were still the slaves they had been for most of the last 430 years. And they couldn't move forward. They were shackled to their past and the devil was whispering in their ear, you will never do any better than you've already done. And they bought it. They bought it. They were still slaves at heart. One other thought, there is the failure of faith. The Israelites remained tethered to their past because they failed to do what Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 do. I want to turn to that. I didn't give it to them upstairs. But at Hebrews chapter 4, write this down if you're making notes. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. It is referring back to the Israel's lights wandering in the wilderness. Therefore, since the promise of entering into his rest, God's rest, still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. Now, here's the key. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Faith is believing something is so that hasn't happened because God says it's so. Think about that with me for just a moment. Faith is believing something that hasn't happened yet because God says it's so. God says it's going to happen. You follow me? Have your parents ever said to you, July the 4th, we go into the beach. 
or June the 6th or whatever it might be. And you go to school, kids, and you say to your friends, hey, in June or July, we're going to the beach. Are, are you there yet? Have you loaded the car yet? Do you see the shoreline yet? No. But you're going. Because mom and dad said, we're going. You follow me? That's faith. In your mind, you're already there. You've already picked out what you're going to wear and what you're going to take. You have accepted the future by faith. Faith is always an action. That's why we're told to walk by faith and not by talk. Think about it. God is not interested in your amen, but in your action. If you want a bag of cement to become concrete, you have to add water to it. And if we want things to happen in our life, we have to add faith to the Word of God and His promises to you and I. We have to believe it and step out upon it. As a young girl or boy, many of us had dreams about what we were going to do with our life and what was going to happen. We have those dreams for our kids and maybe we've come down the journey a ways and they didn't turn out quite like we hoped and things didn't work out quite like we wanted. And we've kind of come to the conviction, it's too late for me. But it's not. People of Israel, when they were set free from Egypt, could have walked to the promised land in 35 days. Took them 40 years to get there. Because of their lack of faith, God had to put them on hold. Life has its way of throwing a curveball at us. We can't change the past, but God can forgive our past and help us write a better future. It wasn't too late for Moses, and it's not too late for you. And my time's almost gone, but I want to go back for a moment. There are the possibilities God can achieve. Now, we see the things that stand in our way. Looking back, Satan's whispering in our ear. We see these things that hold us back. But what can God achieve in our life? Bad decisions can cause our lives to veer off course, not for one year or two years, but sometimes for decades. It could cause us to veer off course from God. That's what had happened to Moses. In Acts chapter 7 verse 22, it says, Moses was a man of power in words and deeds. But later he argues with God, God, I can't speak. I stutter. At one time he could. At one time he was good at it, according to Scripture. Something happened in Midian. He lost his faith. He lost his hope. He lost his, his conviction of his potential. Forty years, wife, watching sheep may do that for you. I don't know. But he had thrown in the towel and give up and quit. He looked at God and he thought, God, you got the wrong man. You got the wrong man. But the issue is... If God's got the right man, he thinks he's the wrong one because he realizes he can't do it, only God can. It's the guy that thinks he's God's gift to the world that's the wrong man. 
not the one that he realizes he's useless without God. A quick summary of the story. Moses had been trapped, if you will, in Midian in the desert for four decades. He thought he had passed. Folks, don't be trapped by your circumstances or tripped by your troubles. Dare to hope. Dare to believe that God is not through with you just because a few years have passed by. The story of his journey, to make a long story short, the people of Egypt had forgot about what Joseph had done for him. And the ancestors of Moses had been turned into slaves. Why? Because the Egyptians were afraid of them. They lived there in their land, and they were outnumbering the Egyptians. And so when the Pharaoh came to power, and he looked around, and he said, These foreigners are more than us. He turned them into slaves. God promised them when the day was right, he would raise one up, and he raised up Moses. You know what, you know what Pharaoh said to do with the kids? He said, throw the boys in the river. So when you have a birth and you have a little boy, just go throw him in the river and drown him. Moses' mother wouldn't do it. She hid him as long as she thought she could. And then you know the story. She put him in the basket. She put the tar pitch on the bottom so it would float. She had Miriam, his older sister, about 12 years old, to watch him in the river just to try to keep him safe so they wouldn't take him and kill him. And when Pharaoh's daughter was out bathing in the Nile River with her servants, little Moses cried over in the bushes. She heard it. She sent the servant to go get it. And when the servant brought it back and uncovered, and there was that little baby, and it looked up at her and cried, oh, God was working, wasn't he? Pharaoh's daughter said to herself, it's one of the Israelite children. And she wanted it for herself. She had no children. And old Miriam came up, do, do you want me to get somebody to take care of the baby for you? You know the story. And she said, yes, I'll pay them to take care of it. And so she went and got Moses' mama. She didn't tell her it was his mama. And so for the next several years, Moses' mother raised Moses' father princess. Moses lived in the palace. And Egypt ended up paying for his education, his training, his lunch, everything. Now, they didn't know it, but they were. You know the story when he was 40 years old. He saw an Egyptian beating one of those Israelites. And he stepped in to defend him. But instead of it being a defense, he struck the Egyptian and he killed him, kids. He didn't mean to do it, I don't think, but he did. The Bible says he dug a hole and he hit him in the sand and he looked around to see if anybody was watching. And he thought it was clear. But he wasn't because in a day or so, a couple of the Israelites are fussing and he steps in to be a mediator. After all, he's a big man. He's prince of Egypt. He is Moses. And they say, you're going to kill us like you did the Egyptians. And fear struck his heart because he'd been found out. And the Bible goes on to say that when Pharaoh realized this, he sought him to kill him. Prince or not, he had killed an Egyptian. 
And Moses ran for his life. That's how he ended up in the Midian desert. God walked with him every step of the way. You see, Moses felt like it was too late. After all, he was a murderer. He had taken a man's life. When God called him that day, he said, Take the shoes off your feet, for you're about to stand on holy ground. I'm going to tell you something. We have got to be willing to ask God as we take off the sins of our life and lay them before him. That he might cleanse our lives, forgive our past, and give us a new beginning. While God was preparing Israel, God was preparing. You see, the 40 years wasn't wasted. Because that's where they were going to be wandering the next 40 years. And God was training Moses to take care of them. I present to you this morning that even your mess-ups are not wasted. Even my mess-ups are not wasted. God has a way of taking those and using those to help us accomplish His purposes. Rahab was a harlot, yet God used her. Jonah was a rebel, yet God used him. Moses was a murderer, yet God forgave him, and he put him on a task. Brother Ken, is it too late for me? No. God's got a plan. I like the basketball term one guy said, Remember, God holds the record for rebounds. God can take our lives and rebound them and do great things with them. But we, like Moses, have got to put the excuses aside and say, Okay, Lord, I'm here. And the Bible says that Moses took his wife and his boys And he went back to Egypt because God had a mission for him. God's got a mission for you and I. It's not too late. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you, Father, for the hope. Lord, we all mess up sometimes. Give us the faith to trust you, to take your word to heart, and by your power to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I pray if God spoke into your heart this morning, by faith we will respond to him. Lead us in.